1: No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Today on the Christian Nerds Unite podcast, we have a great interview with Mr. Mark Goodnight. He is the chapter director of Reasonable Faith in the Tulsa area and the GM for the current D&D campaign that I'm playing in. And we'll get to all of that right after this. This week we have a great interview with my good friend, Mr. Mark goodnight. He's a friend of mine actually from high school. He runs the cyber website on apologetics. He is a chapter director for reasonable faith in the Tulsa area. And he's the GM for my current campaign on D and D that I'm playing in. And we'll talk about sharing our faith at the gaming table and how to GM. But before we get to that, I do have a bit of scripture for us. Let's start with 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this in gentleness and respect. And Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jews and then to the Gentile. Now let's get right to our interview with Mark goodnight. And I am here with my good friend, Mr. Mark goodnight, uh, Mark and I have known each other for many, many years. High school. Yeah. actually went to high school together and he is the current, uh, game master for the dungeons and dragons campaign that I'm playing in right now. So, uh, it is great to have you on the show, my friend.
0: Oh, it's great to be here. So
1: um, let's kind of start out with uh, kind of your gaming history. I know uh, you've played a lot of things over the years, but how did you get started in tabletop role playing games?
0: Well, a a good friend of mine invited me over to his house to uh, play a game and it ended up being basic Dungeons and Dragons and it was 84, 85. And I played a halfling. Because basic Dungeons and Dragons, you can't combine race and class. So you could either play a fighter, magic noose, or cleric thief, or an elf, a dwarf, or a halfling. And mm. so a halfling was my first class, and we graduated from there to first edition or advanced Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, just the rest is history. I mean, by, by the end of high school, we'd played chill and champions and, uh, Gosh, I lost track of even even graduating high school, and then after that, like in college, used to go. There was one gaming group that I went to; they played a different game every Friday, and it was like, okay. So at one point, wow. I had a stack of characters, like fifty characters, all from different games. You know, and I think uh, I think some of my roots. I think somewhere around that basic D and D time, I also got into uh, playing um, the fantasy trip. Um, which is also an old, original uh, role-playing game and playing a lot of uh, the module was Death Test and you were never expected to actually make it through. It's just how far could you make it? Yeah. So, um, you know, and then uh, a lot of Car Wars, um, Steve Jackson games, Car Wars, Ogre, GEV, Mm -hmm. um, and then like Talisman. Yeah, I mean that's that's my roots right there, and that, that's actually the purpose of the D and D game you're in is was like I wanted to like go back to first edition D and D, go back to like I didn't want to go so far as basic D and D, but I wanted to go back to first edition D and D and play only using like the DM the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Player's Handbook, and the Monster Manuals,
1: nothing else. So. Yeah. Which does make our game a little bit different than what some people might have played or seen recently. Uh, So we're not playing 5e. We're playing original. Yeah. First edition.
0: and, And you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a return to roots. This is like the godfather of role playing games. All role playing games trace themselves to Dungeons and Dragons in one way or another. So
1: and, uh, and we actually play online. Yes, um, yes. And So how do you like playing online versus playing in person with people?
0: Well, you know, and that's a good question. With COVID, you know, with the lockdown and social distancing and everything, we really started, like all of our gaming groups went online and we explored different ways of doing things. Um, even tried Roll20 for, for a bit in my Cyberpunk game. But... What I ended up doing is what I'm doing for our D&D game, where it's just everybody dials in using Discord to a private group. I don't want to make it public because I don't want people interrupting what's going on. But so everybody's dialing in on Discord. Um, but a true, try, I try and virtually simulate the, like if we're all sitting at a table. So everybody has pen and paper character sheets in front of them everybody's allowed to roll their own dice and then uh for combat i have a second camera that i set up focusing just on the map and the minis and i'll I'll move the minis for everybody else they'll tell me where they want to move so it's as close as we can get to playing in person but without like using roll 20 where it's like roll 20 almost turns it into a video game to me And it just kind of run part of the experience of RPGs.
1: Now, um, I know some role-playing games, um, especially when they're online, uh, have become kind of you know theater of the mind, and you just kind of imagine what's going on. Right. Now, you've done something a little bit different with um, the way you've laid out the maps for our for our campaign. Can Can you talk a little bit about what yeah. you decided to do?
0: Yeah, so what I do is, for people who aren't playing in my game, I draw out the entire map on um, graph paper. You can get, like, one-inch grid graph paper off of Amazon, like 200 feet for, like, 35 bucks. So I draw out the entire map, and then I cut it up in line of sight. And so when they're – and I I do this even for my people in person. So when they're – Walking into a room, I only put out what they see. And if they go in the next room, I'll take the next room and and scotch tape it on there because it's all paper that I've just cut up. Um, It's it's something that, like, as a player, I always... While you can game without metagaming, you know, separating what your player knows from what your character knows, it's so much a more richer experience for me when you don't have to fight that metagame experience. So I, I like to use tricks to limit the resistance to metagame so that people can get more into their characters and more into what's going on. I mean, I'll go so far as um, people make it like in my cyberpunk game, I have everybody make their perception rolls ahead of time and I have them all written down. And so when I need a perception roll, I just look to, look at their roles. I don't tell everybody, Hey, make a perception roll because then you know, you've missed something. Mm. So I look down and see, see who's made, makes a role. And I only tell those players what they saw. And I let those players tell the other players in their own words, what's going on, which sometimes players will withhold that information and it, it turns out really funny. It makes a great experience.
1: Now, now you've even done a little thing with... Um, you've even done a little thing in order to help metagaming there as well. And, you know, that idea of the players shouldn't know things that I just said over the table. Right. Um, by not actually physically telling the person what they just found out how, right. how how have you done that when you're playing on these this uh remote system
0: well, tell so, tell me so what if you've playing done playing online I'll get people's cell phones and I'll text them or <laughs> I'll I'll private message them or something like that I'm playing in person I'll take them in the other room and tell them you know or I'll text them while we're sitting at the table um like I said, to me, it's it's about a, trying to create a richer experience and to where you can really get in the moment. And you don't have to go like your friends around the corner and they already see five lizard men, but you've never crossed that corner. So you don't know those lizard, lizard men are doing that. <laughs> or somebody who speaks lizard men and is talking with them and the lizard men, they're trying to get a peace thing, but you don't speak lizard men and they haven't related to you. So you go ahead and kill lizard man because you don't know there's a peace talk going on. It's, yeah, it's um, experiences like that that to me make a funner game.
1: So that actually makes me think of a moment that's happening right now in our game. Um yes, yes. Uh, because right now we, we stopped at a particular point where I was standing looking into a room that pretty much nobody else could see into. Right. Um, and, uh, all I see it, well, well, there's the only thing standing between me and about a bazillion bad guys is uh, a foot thick web that any of them could take out in about one move. <laughs> so, well, uh, but well, I just well. realized I haven't actually told everybody else, Hey, there's like 12 more guys back here.
0: Well, but but the uh, if you remember, um, one of the Rangers who actually has the strength high enough to actually break the web themselves has been clearing a path down the hallway, but not down that hallway where those are at. He's also seen so- those, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, the miscommunication, the drama that miscommunication causes in a game that's what you're kind of looking for. I mean, you want the people working together, but mm-hmm. not everybody knows the same thing, and everybody needs to act on what they know. You know, and and like I said, you can do the realize it's metagaming so you don't act on this and try and separate separate that so you can act on just what your character knows. But it's so much more you can get into it so much more when you don't have to do that.
1: Well it's my you, thought. It, well, you have uh game mastered a lot over the years on a lot of different games. And so talk to me for just a minute. If somebody is just getting into tabletop role playing and they want to start game, you know, being the game master, what things would you recommend to like a first time game master?
0: I would recommend reading the rules. I mean, really, really try and know the rules, but more importantly, know your world. How because, do you mean? Well, so every, every game has a world. Um, so D&D is a medieval world, whether it's going to be Greyhawk or Dragonlance or, you know, or your own one. You know, if you're in Cyberpunk, uh, if you're in Cyberpunk 2020 or Cyberpunk Red, which is 2045, um, Typically, the game is in Night City. That's what all the sources are released for in Cyberpunk. But you can set it up to where, you know, people set up their campaigns. They live in London and they'll set up their campaign in London. But know your world, know your campaign world. Um, Because that's, to me, one of the most important things, because it really helps you describe the world. I mean, you're the narrator of this world you have a vision of what's going on in this world and you have to relay this to the players so you've got to be able to describe the world and you want to know the game you want to know the mechanics because you want to know i mean you're going you're going to obviously ignore some rules sometimes or all the time but you at least want to be familiar with the mechanics on what roots that what makes that game So in D&D, we're playing first edition, and so it's a lot of looking up on tables, but that's the way first edition is played, and that's part of the experience. Um, But yeah, I mean, read the rules, know the world. Um, So like, I just picked up uh, Deadlands from my brother, and he has the whole set, and I'm looking at like 15 books. I've got to (laughs) read those books, all of them, or I want to. Because I really want to know the world when I'm building adventures. so Because it really helps you. Like um, with Cyberpunk, I'm pu- I'm, we're currently playing Cyberpunk Red, but I've re- ran 2020 since 91. And because Cyberpunk Red is set in 2045, I know that it's just a later time than the 2020 world that I ran for, what, 30 years or something like mm-hmm. that and i can pull stuff from that from that 2020 world and just with a little bit of math convert it to the mechanics of red and so i can pull a little bit of surprises on the players but it's completely legit it's completely i'm not pulling like automatic weapons out of cyberpunk in a dnd world you know i'm keeping true to the world i I hope I'm answering your question. Cause I feel like I'm ranting and ranting. No, that's all right. Well, and, and
1: you kind of alluded to something here and and I want to talk about it because I, I think you have an interesting take on it. Um, because we've, we've had some conversations before, right? So, um, a lot of people when they're, they're afraid to get into becoming a GM, um, part of their deal is, well, I don't, ha- you know, I don't have an original story. I don't know how to come up with a world on my own. Um, because a lot of people out there kind of are kind of negative on playing modules. And so talk to me about that.
0: I personally, as a player and a GM, I have no problem with modules. I love playing modules as a player. I love, I mean, I love playing original worlds as a player. It's, If you have a good GM, it doesn't matter if it's a module. To me, it doesn't matter if it's a module or original world. Um, I personally, I run a lot of modules. I enjoy running modules. I'll go through them, and I might tweak them a little bit make them to whatever world I'm running. But I really enjoy modules. There are players, there are game masters who won't run anything but original stuff that they've come up with which is which is fine um, there's a guy uh, Seth Skorkowski on YouTube who has a great YouTube channel and he's got a lot of good stuff about RPG philosophy that I even after gaming for 40 years I really enjoy um, but he he's got a video where he actually recommends game masters at least run a module or two so that they can see how how much preparation should go into an adventure. But then you got game masters on the flip side who, I know one game master who just takes a basic idea and just ad-libs it the whole time. To each your own. And, uh,
1: and that's, another, that's another thing. Um, how, much is, how much for you is, I wanna prep everything versus, I'm gonna ad- ad-lib everything.
0: I am a big fan of overkill on prep as a game master. Um even even when I've ran like an original idea, I'll have like 17 pages of notes. And you know, like no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. So no adventure <laughs> survives plan with the players. But to me when I have that much when I put that much work into the adventure, whether it's a module, which you know if I'm running a module, I will pour through it and I'll end up with like several pages of notes on top of the module but um when I put in that work and i I have all those notes, when they do deviate that to me that gives me a stronger foundation to react and keep in line with the story, but adjust it to what they're doing.
1: And, and, uh, that comment of no, uh, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Um, I know, uh, you know, a, as a game master, especially if you're just getting started, you know, sometimes the players will do something you didn't expect. And, uh, I, I don't know that our, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. All the time. I don't <laughs> know how much, I don't know how much my group, our group goes off of your expectations, but I know, you know, the group will be discussing how exactly your, your wife plays with us. Yes, um, yes. you know, we'll be discussing how exactly we're going to handle this situation because the bad guys haven't seen us yet. And your wife goes, I shoot an arrow. <laughs> Or, or as I'm trying to climb onto a boat, I decide to reach up and just yank. One of the guys there, two guys are up there trying to help me up on the, onto the boat. And I just decide I'm going to just yank one of them off. Right. <laughs> and so how do you, how do you react? How do you get things either back on track or do you, you, how do you deal with this unexpected player situation?
0: Well, I mean. Like I said, when you to me, when you've done a lot of work, when something like that happens, it's easy. It, it's easy to adjust to it. Like, for example, the uh, the pirate ship that you were boarding, that you yanked the uh, pirate off into the water. You know, you guys actually were in a position that you could have two or three of, you, at least two of you could have actually made it onto the ship before they realized that you weren't the people they were supposed to be. Meeting. <laughs> but you know. Put, yanking the guy off into the water, it's like... So you have to look at the bad guys as NPCs. Yeah. And you have to look at it... When you got these prepared notes, you have to look at it like, okay, they have to react to this on what just happened here. you know. And pulling a guy off, it wasn't exactly an accident. And that makes them suspicious. And so... It's like, hey, combat just started. Let's let's get at it. You know, shooting an arrow. I mean, it just in those scenarios, it just means that the combat started earlier than expected, but there was going to be a combat one way or the other. You know, um, have you ever run
1: into a situation where um, the the players killed like one of your important NPCs that they really needed to have a conversation with instead?
0: Um, it it has happened. <laughs>
1: what what do you do when that happens?
0: Well, the information that they need to get, you come up with another NPC on the fly. I mean, <laughs> no matter how much preparation that you have, there's always going to be a little bit of ad-libbing um, because you, you can't prepare for every scenario that the players are going to bring at you. But, again, I go back to when you've done all that work, it makes it to me makes the ad living easier because you know what you've got this, you know, for, for the one adventure, I had 17 pages of notes. I had 17 pages of notes to react off of. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and that, that was one of those that, uh, it was actually hilarious because it was a cyberpunk game and they were searching for a, well, they got hired by the, by a company to, uh, who told them that, one of their scientists had done an experiment on himself and they think that it had done it, driven him crazy. And they were really concerned about his family and they really wanted the party to go find him and bring him back in. They were so concerned about his family. You know, there's a strong emphasis on that, you know, he didn't have a family. He was the experiment. He wasn't one of the scientists, but, um, you know they're searching for him, and uh, in cyberpunk you can do like a streetwise roll and, and like search on the street to see what information you get. One of them rolled just so poorly that it was like, you know, you hear about like giant alligators in the <laughs> sewer or something like that. You know, just gave them a false lead and they like was like, We need to investigate the sewers and spent like an <laughs> hour and a half on this false lead. <laughs> and, and I mean it was hilarious, but because I, I knew I I had all the notes and I had the end game, I was prepared for this little deviation and you know let them explore it, you know. So did that answer and, your
1: question? Yeah, definitely. And and I like that idea. I like that thought. Is like let them explore this. Yes, they're going in the wrong way. Let them have a little fun and let them explore.
0: Right.
1: Um. You know, uh, there's a there's an idea sometimes in tabletop role playing game they they call railroading, where right, right. the the GM just railroads everything. Uh, you know, forces the players to play to do exactly what they're supposed to do. H- how do you feel about that?
0: I I don't know. I'm not one of those hardcore like this is the way the game needs to be played type thing. I don't have a problem being railroaded sometimes. Um I think there are more creative ways to handle when when people get off get off base. Um I mean sometimes they're just so far off base that you just gotta be like, all right guys, we need to talk team the player. you know, this is the adventure, you know, drop, get beyond the subtle hints.
1: Yeah. This, uh, this NPC actually knows nothing. He is literally just the guy that serves the drinks.
0: But, (laughs) you know, you get, you get other ones where, um, there was one game I was in that, uh, we were searching for some artifact and it was like a time sensitive thing. And we came across these orcs and I was like, we don't have time for this battle. I'm just going to challenge the chieftain to a one-on-one get it over with because I can take him, you know, and uh, it ended up being more challenging than I thought, <laughs> but I ended up besting him. And it was just one of those random encounters, but the combat was so good that the GM was like, you've really impressed him. You just made a friend of this orc tribe. okay. And the guy was like an NPC with us for a long time.
1: Nice. So
0: you, you get random stuff like that. But there's, there are books out there on, on how to handle um, getting way off base as a GM. Um, uh-huh. Cyberpunk has a great book called Listen Up You Primitive Screwheads, which is a GM book. And there are ideas in there that that would work not just in Cyberpunk but in any game as far as ideas on how to handle problem players or how to handle, you know, when they get off base or something like that. And you can find um, articles or – I mean, there's helpful tips out there that you could find. There's great resources for philosophy of, you know, GMing to help in those situations because – so RPG is a social game and any social thing that you deal with, you're going to ha- occasionally run into either a wrong idea or, you know, there's, there's play- bad player stereotypes out there that you want to try and avoid. The most common ones you'll hear about are like power gamers or rules lawyers. And, you know, there's ways to, to, handle those. And then sometimes you just got to be like, okay, you're not working out as a player. And that's not, that's, this is getting off topic as far as the handling players who get off base and, you know, comparing to railroading, because that's more of like problem players and how do you handle problem players or people who cheat or whatever. Mm. So,
1: well, um, so, you know, you, you brought up the social aspect, now you and I are both believers, right, right? And, um, one of the things that, uh, I picked up a long time ago was that, um, you know, nerds like us sometimes, you know, nerds like us need to be at the table because right, right. there are times where people who are, are not believers are going to have questions and we've built relationships with them through game playing. Right. And, So who are they going to come ask? They're going to come ask us because, uh, you know, and if we're not at the table, nerds like us, who are they going to ask, you know, for, for this help or this support or to answer these kind of questions. Um, so how do you feel about, um, bringing your, your faith? Now, I, I know you came to faith a little bit later in life, and maybe you can give us a little bit of that story along with this, but how do you feel about, um, you know, working faith into either the storytelling or just as you're playing the game as a player or as a GM?
0: As a player and as a GM, um, or as a GM, I typically don't work my faith directly into the game. Um, I have as a player on, on occasion, when it's a concept that I'm, I'm building and, and it's cool to be part of it. Um, the faith thing to me is more of a, the social aspect of interacting with people outside the game, you know, because when you play these games, uh, easily a third of the game is BS. You know, you know, <laughs> yeah. you, know you, you, especially if you game once a month or, you know, just periodically your first 30 minutes or so are just BS. And before everybody's like, Hey, we came here to play. Can we play? You know, know. (laughs) Um, um, I think you had a great podcast on this, that people should check out um, as far as combining faith with, with uh, RPGs and Mm -hmm. I, I like to think of you know First Peter three fifteen says always be ready to have a have an answer in season and out of season, and you know we we show our faith by the way we live our lives not necessarily with our words. I mean we we do want to use our words, but you know if you're there with people, they're going to see how you carry yourself, and if you build that repertoire with them to when they, where they might hit a situation or a scenario where they need help or they need advice, you know, it just may be that God will work for us and may just, just, may be that you have earned that favor and that place of trust with them, that they would come to you and ask you and, and really trust what you're going to tell them. I mean, I've got a even even outside of the game, I've got some unbelieving friends that have reached out to me over the years. I mean, really in-depth calls. They know I'm a believer. They know. I mean, they pretty much kind of know what I'm going to tell them, but they still will reach out to me and ask for advice. You know, and I think. For me, the lesson learned was early on in my Christian life, because, you yeah, know. When I first became a believer, I was one of those that I was trying to turn every conversation into you need Jesus, you need to get saved. And honestly, that doesn't really work. That does nothing but really push people away. That would have pushed me away before I was a Christian. And I'd forgotten that. And then there was someone very dear to me who uh, it was hurting our relationship. And, you know, I was just praying about it. And. Talking to God about it, and I was like, I really just want to just start loving them and stop preaching at them. And what was really funny was when I stopped preaching at them and started loving them, they started asking me questions. Hmm. And when they ask questions, hey, it's a fair game, you know. And there's a great book by Greg Koukl um, called Tactics. That if you are a believer, I, ne- I think you need to read. But like everyone on in the book, he says that uh, it's not his goal to turn every conversation into a gospel message. And he does clarify that, you know, this is not to say that if the Spirit leads, mm-hmm. has that leading, that he needs to ignore that. But he says rather it's his goal to put a stone in someone's shoe in these conversations to give them something to think about that they're going to dwell on. And like I said, for me, before I became a Christian, that's what it took. I mean, even, even with God, it took several years of working on me for before a, I started believing in God and B before I gave up, you know, repented and turned my life around and really started living for Christ. Um, so sometimes some of us are that stubborn and bullheaded and not, not quick on the draw. And we, we need that time to, for a seed to be planted in us that God will cause to water, that God will cause to grow. You know, other people might come. I mean, Paul says that he planted and Apollos watered, but it's God that provides the increase. You know, there are some of us that it takes just planting seed and letting that seed grow and being watered a little bit along the way, and then you reap the fruit. Obviously, there are other people where it's like, you know, God shows up, it's a witness, and instantly they've given their life, and they've turned their their life around. But again, like I said, some of us are slow and not very smart and quick in the draw like me that took several years. So God has grace for all of us. Don't forget that.
1: Good word, man. man. Good word. Well, a couple of quick questions, um, just to kind of kind of wrap everything up. And uh, now you've mentioned that you you play several games every every week. So tell how many
0: how many games do you are you currently in? I'm currently in four gaming groups. Um, One one group we meet every other Friday, and the other three we meet once a month. Um, So the Friday group, we're currently playing a game called Dreamsca- Dreamscape Maruna. Um, it's a newer game that one the, the GM got through a Kickstarter. Uh, and that one is actually approaching the end of its campaign, and we're going to be switching over to 7th C on that one, which is a pirate game, which would be fun. Pirate and Swashbuckles. Nice. Um, um, and then there's my cyberpunk game that like I said, I've been running since the nineties. That's, that's, that's my baby. That's my core. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, there's the first edition D D and D game that's virtual that you're in. And then, uh, the other game is, uh, Dragon Quest and Dragon Quest is a game that was, uh, released in the mid eighties. And then, uh, after a second edition they never released another edition again but it's a it's a unique system it's got a, a the magic has backfire tables so backfire how do you what's a so backfire what table is, it's all it's all skill based so when you're casting a spell you you roll you roll against your skill and it's percentile based so if you miss your target number by more than 20% the spell backfires and you roll on a backfire table and you can get stuff like uh, one of the players got amnesia for twelve weeks, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So you can you can get you know you can get some pretty crazy stuff with that. So that that was actually the inspiration for a, one of my ended up being one of my favorite characters was a rookie magic user. I like purposely made like a complete minimum requirements magic user in that game to try and maximize my backfire effects and ended up being hilarious the first game we're playing one of the players was like you're not very good at this are you and mentally i was like i am playing him right if you ask me that <laughs> if
1: and, you had to ask that i'm yeah doing if this you had right. to ask
0: that i <laughs> <have> <laughs> nailed how i'm playing this character <laughs> and then uh uh, but it was funny because, you know, the character ended up dying in a total part, in an almost total party kill. So it wasn't just my character being stupid that killed us. I mean, we got jumped by some uh, dire wolves, and it was more than we should have been jumped with. But um, in his short lifespan, I ended up casting three spells two of them I had critical success on. It was like, come on, I can't backfire with that? <laughs> and then uh, the uh, third spell, I finally ended up backfiring and we rolled on the effect and it and it was a uh, double effect on a random person in the area, you know, in, a, in an area from, from the uh, character. And I ended up rolling on the very person I was trying to cast on, so I got double effect <laughs> on him. It was like, come nice. on,
1: i can't fail this is not right
0: i was purposely trying (laughs) to mess up and i the dice wouldn't let me mess up
1: uh sometimes we are at the will of the dice
0: oh the dice giveth and the dice taketh away
1: so um what is your favorite game mechanic that uh, what's what's one thing in in any of the games you've ever played that you're like this is super unique or weird, or I just really love this feature.
0: Okay. So the most unique and favorite are two different games.
1: Okay, go ahead.
0: um, My favorite cyberpunk and I I really love it because it's very simple. It's, it's a very deadly game Mm. and you know, some of it is I gravitate towards it because it's a cyberpunk genre. And I really love, you know, like blade runner and, yeah, stuff like that. Um but everything in the game is skill plus stat plus die roll. I mean every roll is that. And it's been like that since the first edition in 1989.
1: So just simple and straightforward and
0: Simple and straightforward, you know, if you if you're firing a gun, you have a target number that you're trying to hit. If you're doing melee, it's your roll versus their roll. Both of you are rolling, skill plus stat plus die roll. It's it's real simple. Now, the most unique, my current is Deadlands. Um, okay. Deadlands is a, uh, think Wild Wild West with Artemis Gordman. You know, the old okay. TV show Wild Wild yeah. West. Oh, yeah. Um, but with magic and undead like Shadowrun okay um and you actually not only do you use every die the d4 d6 d8 d10 d12 d20 you also use a deck of cards okay you actually create your character with a deck of cards
1: oh that's interesting
0: you do initiative with a deck of cards and when you're casting magic it's with a deck of cards Nice. So it's it's I'm I've, I've only played it a few times, but I was just massively impressed by it, and that's why I ended up borrowing the book. So I mean, even my wife's like, we need to get a Deadlands game going. Um, <laughs> so you know, and and necessity is the mother of dimensions. That's why I started running G uh, G Cyberpunk all those years ago. Was I love the genre? I wanted to play. No one could run it, or the one person that could run it. I never thought he was running it right because he never read, never actually read the rules and was always doing stuff that didn't fit in the world to me. So I was like, screw it. I'm on a run And, <laughs> uh, you know, with deadlands, we can't find a game. So my brother has all the books. I can borrow them because I'm a brother and, uh, I'm going to learn how to, how to run it. And I'm going to run a deadlands game.
1: Awesome. So, well, Hey, Man, it has been great having you oh, on yeah. the show today. I it's I, I love chatting with you. It's a, it's absolutely a blast. Before we go, um, tell people how they can get a hold of you. You've done a lot of different things over the years, and I know uh, <laughs> f- just from hearing you know the people that are listening, just from hearing you, will probably gather that you apologetics is something that is a passion of yours. Yes, and um, now you run a, an apologetics
0: website. Um, uh, w- yes. what's it called? It is called cyber penance. Um, and if you just Google cyber penance, uh, it's going to be the first, should be the first site, but I think it's actually CyberPenance.wordpress.com. It's, and I'll put it
1: in the, I'll put it in the links down below as well.
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the exact website. Um, now, you know, confession, I haven't updated it in probably about two years, but it's, it still has a ton, ton of articles. Um, you, I've got my entire testimony written on there. Um, just, just a real short one. Um, I was, uh, I'll, I'll do the short, short compressed version. See if I can do it under five minutes. If you want to time me, that's <laughs> Go for it. Uh, but, um, so I was suicidal from the age of five. I actually told my mom I wanted to die at the age of five and tried to kill myself Um, I was deaf for two years when I was learning how to speak. So, um, anybody who's listened to me occasionally, you might hear me say a word wrong. It's because I can't pronounce it right. Um, and then, uh, so I grew up in a Christian home, but I rejected the church at the age of 12. I asked Satan into my life when I was 15, um, and then got into dabbling in the occult. And then in, uh, After college, got into drugs. See, all that was before I started doing drugs. You know, I mean, I was I was classified as a level five neurotic by the time I graduated high school by the state of Oklahoma. Um, And so I didn't need drugs to be crazy. They just made me crazier. But I basically reached close to rock bottom and ended up praying a prayer that started with God, if you are real, because I didn't think I didn't know if it was real or not. And got an answer the next morning. Uh, that prayer was prayed probably about three thirty, four 4 o'clock. And I got an answer by 7 or 8 o'clock. And, you know, it was one of those things that, oh, my God, God is real. Wow. Type thing. So I believed in God, but um, it didn't, you know, going back to the uh, stubborn and bullheaded and slow to think, uh aspect, you know, I actually went further down the rabbit hole, um, further into drugs. I actually, even though I believed in God, I hated Christians. I would tell Christian, I would tell my friends, this is a quote, if I ever become a Christian, take a gun and blow my brains out and put me out of my misery. That was how I felt about Christianity. But um, in all my searching for an answer to the suicidal tendencies and depression that have plagued me my whole life, I got a book at Walden Books called How to Cope with Depression, which didn't teach me a darn thing that I didn't know already. (laughs) But the appendix, appendix A, if I remember correctly, um, gave an interesting statistic and it said 90% of depressives turn to religion for help. I was like, okay, mom, I need a Bible. And I started reading the Bible and uh, in a, you know, I'm still stoned the entire time because I didn't know any better. Um, And I ended up stumbling onto a TV evangelist one Sunday morning while working in a graveyard. So it was the end of the day for me. And the guy did an altar call, turned to the TV and said, "All you all who want to ask Jesus in your life get on your knees and let your hands in the air and i'm actually getting high at this time so i put my drug paraphernalia down get on my knees lift my hands in the air and ask jesus into my life now it was still about nine more months before i actually took that step and went to church but the first time i went to church i was delivered from drugs three weeks later i was healed from that depression and suicide that had plagued me from the age of five and several months uh about a month or two later i was delivered from smoking that i've been doing since i was 12. and so here i am that's the short short version it's (laughs) written in three posts on that website if you want to read the whole thing and you can reach me through that website um so i can be contacted through there i'm also on twitter and facebook so
1: and, uh, and one last thing, because there are a lot of Christian nerd, un- uh, Christian nerds unite followers out there that yeah. are into some metal and oh, you yeah, have, yeah. you have been the, the lead singer for a, a, a metal band and give us just the short version. And can they still find some of your music somewhere?
0: Yeah. Um, so the name of the band I was in, I mean, I was actually in almost 20 different bands through. 25 years but the the band that actually has any recognition um is called far from insanity and um there's still a facebook page um there is are some clips there's a channel on youtube that has some uh videos and live footage and yeah it was it was extreme metal it was we got compared to this was other people's comparisons not ours But um, we got compared to like Slipknot, Light Zombie, Living Sacrifice, Sepultura, Pantera. Um, So we were, and yes, I was the vocalist, sampler, and um, lyricist.
1: And and it's some good stuff. So if you're into that, definitely check out Far From Sanity. Um, But uh, Mark, it has been fantastic having you on the show. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. And it's always a pleasure talking with you, brother.
1: It was great talking to my friend Mark Goodnight about role-playing games today. Uh, I put links down in the show notes to uh, some of his websites, and I've also included some other links to products you might be interested in, so check those out. Well, that's all I have for us today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, click, you know, all those buttons. Just click all those buttons down below, (laughs) you know, whatever links you have down there, wherever you're watching or listening to this. And uh, you can find all of our social links, our online store and links to our YouTube channel at ChristianNerdsUnite.com. And uh, while you're there, click on the support tab and check out our Patreon. We would love to have you support us. Now, before we go, I do have a quick blessing for you. May the Father's hand keep you from stumbling. May the footprints of Jesus give you confidence to follow. May the fire of the Spirit keep you warm and safe in your walk with God this week. We'll see you next week. Blessings.